Thanks for joining us today. We love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life, so we encourage you to share your story with us at info at fellowshipgj.com. Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that online at fellowshipgj.com and pick the giving option that works best for you and help us continue to bring the message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thanks for joining us and enjoy today's message. So a few weeks ago, Pastor Dan was telling a story about why he doesn't play softball anymore. You guys remember that? And how he remembers his last at bat and how he struck out playing slow pitch softball and thought, you know what, if I can't hit a softball, if I strike out playing slow pitch softball, I just, I just shouldn't play. Well, the parts that he didn't tell you, I actually was there for. Would you like to hear the rest of the story? Yes, because the rest of the story I think is way better. Because I get to tell the story of his second to last bat and his third to last bat, which were even better than his last bat. And I was pitching, I actually, our team was playing their team, and of course, you know, we're jawing and giving each other a hard time and making fun of each other. And so he comes up to bat, and I understand, it, Dan's a really, he was really athletic, and so he's good at sports, and he just wanted to just destroy this ball so bad so he could just rub it all in our faces. So I, I pitch the ball, and he does this massive wind-up swing, and like his tongue is hanging out, and he just sees this ball coming at him, and he hits it as hard as he can, but he only hits about that much of the ball. And it kind of just trickles right to me at home plate. Now, I don't know if this has ever happened to you before, but it, it has happened to me, and it happened to him in that instant. He took off out of the batter's box, and you know how you fall sometimes, but you fall over like a half a mile? You know, it's like in slow motion. And so he takes off, and he knows he's just going to try to run the ball out like he can do that. And he's just like slowly just cannot get his foot, and then boom, just flat on his face, just flat in between home and first. Now, me, being the 38-point cleric I am, only have one compassion point, and I didn't use it at that point. And so I fielded the ball, and I just kind of looked at him, and I was laughing so hard that I couldn't even throw the ball to first base. But I composed myself, got him out, and uh, of course, you know, we ended the inning. Uh, we gave him a hard time. Second at bat, he comes up. And he really wants to kill it now. I mean, he has to redeem himself. This is a true story. So he hits the ball and he smokes it. I mean, he smokes it. In between uh, uh, center field and, and left field, I mean, just right in the gap. And so he's running around first base. And he begins to get delusions of grandeur you know, now that he's, he's hit the ball so well. And so he wants to stretch the double into a triple. So he's going around second base. And my best friend from high school I'm playing with, and, and he's in the outfield. And all of a sudden he yells, you got new legs, Lieutenant Dan. It's <laughs> a Forrest Gump reference if you remember. And, of course, everybody just lost it at that point. Lost it. We were all laughing so hard. He lost composure trying to get to third base. Uh, but he, he was safe. And then his last at bat, he got up. And the reason he struck out is because everybody was yelling, Come on, Lieutenant Dan, you got it now. You can hit that ball. So then he strikes out. So it was not Dan's best day of sports. We can say that. Now you might say, well, Tim, what does that have to do with your message on fear? Absolutely nothing. It has nothing to do with it. 
It's just a funny story that I wanted to tell. Well, we are going to talk about fear today. And we're going to talk about some things that are fearful in our, or we're fearful of in our society. And one of my favorite scriptures on fear is Psalms 27, 1 through 3, where it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? We even sing this in some of our worship songs. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. This coming from the man who killed bears, he killed lions, he faced the giant as a boy and killed the giant. David knew and understand how to be courageous. He knew how to stand against fear. But when you read his other scriptures, when you read the other writings of David, you'll find that he did go through seasons of fear. He went through seasons of doubt and worry. But what David learned and what he realized was he he got his boldness and his courage from God. And he understood if God was with him, who could be against him? He, he grasped that. But in our society, we've very much, I think, lost that concept. Very much have looked, we look at our culture and our society and things come up and we can become very fearful of them. And this morning, we're going to look at five things that are happening right now in our culture. And we kind of pooled some people or pulled some people uh, and, and talked to them about what they thought the biggest fears in American culture were today. And these are the ones that we came up with. The first should be no surprise. What do you think Americans are the most fearful of right now? The election, right? Somebody said, I thought somebody said, who's going to be the Broncos quarterback? That's something <laughs> to maybe be fearful of. But this upcoming election, as November approaches, everybody is freaking out about the election. Who is going to be our leader? One, by, one side says, oh, no, if Clinton is elected, we're doomed. The other side says, if Trump's elected, we're doomed. And so everybody is afraid of what is going on. They're afraid of the future, regardless of who, who gets elected, whether it's a presidential election or one that's for Senate or for Congress. It seems like there is a lot of fear out there when it comes to our future leaders. Well, here's my advice to deal with the fear when it comes to elections and who our future leader is. Number one, stop watching and listening to the news so much. Just stop, right? You understand that they profit off of us being fearful. That's why we tune in, because we want to hear. We want to hear what's going on. We want to hear what's said. We want to see what this is going on in this situation, what has been said about that situation. And they very much, regardless of whether you listen to Fox or CNN or NBC or whatever, they love to talk about things that will make us fearful. And if we're not careful, we listen to it too much. And I understand, you need to be informed. Absolutely, you need to be informed. But for some of us, we need to turn the radio off and we need to turn the TV off because the more that they the more that we listen to those things, the more we're going to start to our mindset is going to be about those things. The more fearful we're going to be about it. So it's best just to turn it off. So stop watching so much news. Stop listening to the radio. Number two, exercise your right to vote. That is something that you can control. You can control your right to vote. And people have died. They've, lived, they've, they've sacrificed their lives so that we can live in a free society where we can vote. So vote, vote. And I always get the question, who do I vote for? Tim, who are you voting for? And this is what I always tell people. Number one, 
Pray. Pray that God will give you wisdom of who you should uh, uh, vote for, regardless of the election. And number two, choose the most righteous candidate on the ticket. Now, you might go, well, maybe I don't have a choice of any righteous candidates. So choose the lesser of two evils, if that's what you have to do. But understand that the Bible talks about the fact that Israel was always successful. Israel was always blessed when they had a righteous leader. And so that's what we have to do as Christians. We have to, we have to elect whoever we feel is the most uh, moral and the more, most righteous. So exercise that right of vote. But then thirdly, just give it over to God. I mean, once you've prayed about it, once you get the negative influences out of your mind, then just give it to God. Because the truth is found in Romans 13.1. The Bible says everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Another version talks about the fact that all leaders are appointed by God. So God's going to appoint him. He's the one that's in control. And here's the truth. If any of us were elected into any of these offices, we would have no clue on how to fix the issues. We think we can. It's very easy to play armchair quarterback as a politician. But the truth is that we, don't, we, we probably don't know how to fix things, but God does. So just give it to him, and he's got a plan, and his will will be done. And you might go, oh, man, you're telling me that God is, he's, he's the one that's placed all of these authorities, these leaders, these kings in, into rule and into government through all of these years. That's what the Bible says. Even people like Hitler and Stalin and Lenin and all of these horrible dictators, absolutely. And in every one of those situations, God worked a plan and God brought, God brought some type of resurrection out of a horrible situation. And God can do that at any time. He is God. He is in control. And when we leave things to him, we are so much better off. So that's, that's a way just to Deal with that fear of who, who's, uh, who's going to be our leader. The second one, here, what do you think another one is, is right now that really, really faces people? There you go. Finances. Money, right? Fear of financial uh, insecurity. Matthew 6, 25 through 34 says, So I tell you, don't worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food, drink, or clothes, doesn't life consist of more than food and clothing? Look at the birds. They don't need to plant or harvest or put food in barns because your heavenly father feeds them and you are far more valuable to him than they are. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Of course not. I believe that worrying can take days from your life. Verse 28, and why worry about your clothes? Look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and gone tomorrow, won't he more surely care for you? You have so little faith. So don't worry about having enough food or drink or clothing. Why be like the pagans? He, he talk, he's talking about people that are so materialistic. He actually calls them pagans who are so deeply concerned about these things. Your heavenly father already knows all your needs and he will give you all you need from day to day if you live for him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern. So don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Now I believe that you can actually be plagued by a spirit of worry. And I think that that can be generational. I think that it can be passed down. I mean, you can look back. If you struggle with worry and you might go, man, my 
my mom was that way, or my grandmother was just such a worry ward. I've heard the saying before, you know, that, that person worries enough for everybody. They worry for everybody, so nobody else has to worry. If you were that person, know that that, could be, that can just be a generational curse, and generational curses are broken so easy. You just say, in Jesus' name, break the generational curse that is over myself and my family with the spirit of worry. And it, it's, it is that easy in dealing with a generational curse. But we have to... Uh, Program the hard drive, too. Because once you deal with a, a generational curse, understand that that generational curse has been operating so long that it's changed the way you think. And we're going to talk about how to do that, deal with that here in just a second. Now, God is going to take care of you. Not only is he going to take care of you, but he is going to richly bless you if you do one thing. What is the one thing God says that I want you to do, and if you do it, I will bless you? Tithe. Show yourself faithful with the giving of tithes and offerings. Now, I know you might go, oh, here he goes. He's going to be talking about money. He's going to be talking about tithing. And yes, I am. And the reason that I am is I want to make sure that your finances are recession-proof. And the only way you can make sure that your finances are recession-proof is by giving your finances over to God. Then it's based on God's economy and not the world's. And when you do that, it changes everything. Scripture says that he will open up the windows of heaven to bless you. Malachi 3.6. And I love this version. It's in the message translation. It says, I am God. Yes, I am. I haven't changed. And because I haven't changed, you, the descendants of Jacob, haven't been destroyed. You have a long history of ignoring my commands. Okay, we've, we've done that. You haven't done a thing I've told you. Return to me so I can return to you, says God of the angel armies, as he's described in the message translation. You ask, but how do we return? He says, begin by being honest. Do honest people rob God? But you rob me day after day. You ask, how have we robbed you? The tithe and the offering, that's how. And now you're under a curse, the whole lot of you, because you're robbing me. Bring your full tithe to the temple treasury. You bring your whole tithe. That means, I believe what that translates as is your tenth of your income before taxes to your local church so there will be ample provision in my temple. Test me in this and see if I don't open up heaven itself to you and pour out blessings beyond your wildest dreams. For my part, I will defend you against marauders, protect your wheat fleet fields and vegetables gar vegetable gardens against plunderers. What he's saying is that if you do this, I'll protect your stuff. I'll protect your, your wealth. I will protect your jobs. I will protect the things that you have from breaking down. That's what that scripture means. And I can tell you, if you are a tither, you are recession-proof financially. That, that you are. And if you talk to tithers and you ask them, hey, how have you done, have you, how have you done since 2009? They'll tell you, fine. Yeah, you might have a little dip here and there, but God always took care of us. In fact, most of the time they will tell you, I've been blessed through this recession. I've been blessed through it. Now, if you tithe and you still struggle financially, that could be a financial curse. Just like a generational curse of worry, there can be a generational curse of, uh, of uh, finances or, or a lack, a spirit of lack that's on your finances. But that can be broken in the same way. In Jesus' name, break the generational curse of whatever it is financially that seems to be plaguing you and your family. I want you to be blessed. 
I want you to be able to go through life and go through life abundantly with Christ, but also to have your needs net. And I'm telling you guys, it works. I started tithing when I was 17 years old. I was a waiter, and when I tithed, my tips went up. Not because I was a better waiter because I tithed, but because God's favor and blessing was on me. He lifted that curse off of me so that I could be blessed. So guys, he says, test me in this. Test me in this and see if I don't prove myself right. And he will every time. So finances, fear of the future. Another one that's kind of out there is the fear of war. It's a fear of war out there. Fear of, oh no, it could all come to an end. Oh no, that somebody could just drop a nuke on us and it could all be, it'd all be over just like that. Now we know prophetically that there will be one more world war. There will be. The Battle of Armageddon will be the last world war. But I firmly believe that if you are a Christian, you will not be here for that war. And I speak of the rapture. I speak of the second coming. Yes, firmly believe it. Now, I don't have six weeks to stand up here and and tell you why I believe that. We did that on midweek services uh, last February. We have this series that's called Signs, which is really, really awesome material. Uh, It's in our bookstore. It's on CD. If you want to know why we believe that you will not be here for the tribulation or Armageddon, then get that series because Scripture is very clear when it comes to what's going to happen to us as Christians. And if that's the case, then you don't have to worry about World War III. You don't have to worry about the Battle of Armageddon. If you're not saved, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you need to be afraid of tribulation in World War III. But if you're saved, you don't. You don't. God's promise is that we will not be here for that, and that's a wonderful thing. But I love this scripture in Romans 8, 31, where it says, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? The God of the universe who created everything is on our side. Then what are, we, what are we afraid of? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is it that he condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is that at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Not only do we have God on our side, but we have the Son of God praying and interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? of Christ shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword skipping down to verse 37 no and all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us we we are more than conquerors because of Christ for i am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons neither the present nor the future nor any powers neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our lord nothing nothing can separate us from the lord and God is with us who could be against us so fear of war that, that that's not really legitimate for us to be fearful of that and if the Lord or if the devil has made you fearful of it, it's something that you can handle in a spiritual warfare uh, concept from just praying that God take away that fear. Whatever it is you're fearful of, ask God to take that fear away. Now, here's a big one right now in this culture, and that is a fear of civil unrest with all the things that are going on. 
People are so fearful of what's happening in our country. And the media has done a number on our, on our perspective with this. And I, I want to kind of look at this in a, in a different way. But I want to ask you a question. When did it become cool to think our country is bad? When did that happen? Have you noticed that there's like this movement in America to make Americans think that America isn't great? The place we live isn't the greatest place in the world? Are we as a society still proud of being an American? Are we still proud of that? Something has happened since World War II to 2016 where the erosion of our national pride and our confidence in our country has, has been deteriorated. It's, it's, it's been eroded. And back then, man, you didn't speak against your country. You didn't speak against your flag. You didn't decide that you weren't going to do the Pledge of Allegiance. You didn't just sit on your hands and say, I'm not proud of my country, so I'm not, I'm not doing the pledge. There was none of that. We had just survived World War II. We had just uh, uh, survived the evils of Nazi Germany and, and the Empire of Japan. We, we, were, we were thanking God that we were still a country that was free. But in those years, isn't it crazy how things has changed? Now it's almost vogue to dislike our own country. Vogue to talk against it. Now, look, there are 319 million people in this country, and some of them are evil and are going to do evil things, but we are still blessed to live in the greatest country on this planet, and I believe the greatest state in this country. We're blessed. What has happened to thanking God for our country and praying for it and our leaders instead of being so critical of it? You go, what has happened there? It's almost like everybody just goes, it's, it's okay to just speak against every leader. Be critical of them. Crucify them. That's what we ought to do. This culture has gotten to a point where it loves to build people up and then tear them down. And then it, it builds them up again and then it tears them down again. And our media is just great at doing this. As bad as things are and as bad as things could be, Understand this, most countries would gladly trade their amount of civil unrest with ours. They'd gladly trade it, especially countries in the Middle East, in South America, in Central America, and in Africa. We talk about our civil unrest in our country, they laugh. Like, are you kidding me? Live where I live. Is we've got to change the atmosphere when it comes to how people think about where we live and our country. We need to be proud to be Americans. People fought and died for the fact that we can call ourselves free. They fought and died so that we could be the land of the free and the home of the brave. We've got to get back to that and quit focusing on the bad things in this country and start lifting up the good things in this country. We need to start building up our leaders and we need to start praying for them. We need to start saying, well, Lord, I know, man, I don't know where they're at and it feels like they're making a lot of bad decisions. Now, I'm not going to criticize them. Instead, I'm just going to lift them up and I'm going to pray, God, give them wisdom. Show us, Lord God, show that leader the, the steps that they should take. Be a lamp unto their feet where they would know where they should go, whether it's left or right, if they should make this decision or that decision. When was the last time you really prayed for your government leaders? 
That's why we're, you know, doing this campaign of, hey, pray for your, our police officers. Pray for their families. Pray for our first responders. Pray for our leaders. Because, guys, the only thing that is going to change the bad and the evil of this world is God. And the only thing that we can do is pray and intercede for these leaders so that God can work on their behalf. That's how we change this world. That's how we change the spiritual climate in this country. And stop being so critical of everything. Man, I, I was, uh, we were at a campfire one time, and uh, 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 Rebecca has these cousins, and two are Navy SEALs. Uh, one was a Marine officer, and uh, uh, at that time, uh, Clinton was in office, and they were kind of, the group was kind of throwing Clinton under the bus as we were around the campfire, and these guys just didn't say anything. And uh, they're like, hey, you, do, you know, you guys are in the military. What do you have to say about that? And th- their response was, you know what? We, we just feel like we shouldn't speak against our leaders. And he is the, our commander in chief. And so, you know, we need to respect him and honor him. Wow. Huh. There's a reason why our military is the best in the world. And that's one of the reasons. Because they understand authority and they understand honor. And we've got to get back to doing that. We've got to. That's way more crucial than who we elect is our attitudes in Christi- as Christians of who, of who we pray for. So, fear of civil unrest. God's got us. And then finally this morning, the fear of sickness. I think fear of sickness is kind of out there, right? You, you, once again, the media will go, oh, well, there's an Ebola outbreak, or there's some mosquito in, in Central America that's biting people and giving them some Zeke virus or whatever, and it's going to spread. And now, now, where do you think that fear began? It was spawned in the media too, uh, too because you, you, you see these movies like Outbreak, right? Where this one, one disease, infectious disease is out and then it's infecting all these people. I mean, there, there are actually people out there that believe that there are zombies. Or gonna, there's going to be a zombie apocalypse. Have you seen? Seriously, there are people that are, that are like redoing their trucks and building bomb shelters and buying all these supplies, getting ready for the next zombie apocalypse. Now, I think that it's just a redneck finding an excuse to buy a gun so his wife doesn't get mad at him, but, you know, whatever he's got to do. But really, guys? Zombies? Are we, re- are we really afraid of zombies? Are we really going to be fearful of some outbreak? Once again, God is in control. But another fear that I know that, that I've, I've faced before is when you look at your grandparents and how they died, you look at your parents and maybe how they died and you start thinking, oh man, could I get cancer? Oh man, I mean, my dad died of Alzheimer's. That was horrible. Those six years were horrible. And you, haven't, you don't think I haven't thought in my mind, man, what, what if I were to get that? Because see, for me, I could do my job you know, on crutches, but I couldn't do my job without my mind. And so that was a fear that I had to deal with. It's just like, man, am I... <laughs> Is, is that going to happen to me, God? And so it made me fearful of, of this sickness that I didn't even have or, or, or maybe would never have. Guys, understand that when it comes to sickness, it's going to be there, right? It's, it's going to be there. There's, there's going to be sickness in this world. But what is the worst thing that can happen if a Christian, die, if a Christian gets sick? You might go, oh, well, they would die. But if you die, where do you go? Isn't that the ultimate healing? 
Like I prayed and prayed, God, please, please, please heal my dad. Please, God, make him better. Please don't let him have to go through this. And God, please, for six years I prayed. And you know what? God answered my prayer. But he didn't heal him in this life. He healed him in the next. And I know that my dad is in a much better place. And I know that it's not goodbye forever with my dad. It's just a goodbye for now. And we need to change our perspective with that too. Now, please know I'm not trying to make light of anybody that has an illness or has family members of going through an illness. I understand how painful that can be, how hard that can be to walk through those storms. But understand this, that if you're a Christian, God has got you into eternity. And you could get 800 years into the millennium with Christ and go, how, how did I die on earth? I don't even remember that because heaven is going to be so great. The Bible gives us promises about healing. James 5.15 says, And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is, a power, is powerful and effective. So may we, we pray for each other. We lift each other up when we're ill. But know this, according to, uh, according to what, what Paul says, to die is to gain. He actually told that to his friends in Philippians 1.21. He says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. So what he's saying here is he's like, guys, I know that I, I, know that I, could, I could be killed at any moment. The persecution of the Christians during this time was, was horrible. And so he was constantly being beaten and put in jail for his beliefs. And he's like, you know, I could, I could die any time. You know, that's great. I'll just go home and be with Jesus. But it's probably better that I stay in my earthly body for you right now, is what he was telling his friends, so that I can help you as, you as you further the cause for Christ. As there's nothing, according to these scriptures, that can separate us from God's love. And we as Christians have eternity with him. So when it comes to sickness, man, it's like, well, God, are you... Are you going to take me home to be with you when I'm 75, 80, 90, 100? Or when I'm 30, 40, or 50? Or, you know what, are you just going to take me at home in the rapture? I don't even have to die. Whatever the case, we know, how, we, know we have the eternal security with him. So how we're going to close this morning is we're going, to, we're going to deal with some of this stuff from a spiritual warfare standpoint. Because scripture is very clear in 2 Timothy 1.6. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. Verse 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So if we have a spirit of fear, it's not from God. It's from the devil. And the, the way that we deal with that is spiritually. So let's stand together. If we can bring the house lights down. The first thing I want you to do is I want you to think in your mind what you were fearful of. Close your eyes. What is it? Fear of the future. Fear that you're going to lose your marriage. 
fear that you're going to lose your job. Fear that you won't be healed. Fear that you're going to go through your whole life battling this one problem that you just can't get rid of. Whatever it is, I want you to picture it right now, but then I want you to picture yourself handing that fear over to God. Lay it at his feet. And repeat after me, God, I give you my fears because you can handle them way better than I can. Take them away from me and cleanse my mind from worry. In Jesus' name. Okay, next thing I want us to do is, man, if you just need an extra measure of peace, if you're going through something right now that is just this massive storm and you feel like, oh my Lord, what am I gonna do? And I want you to come down. I want you to join us in worship. So come down front and I wanna pray that a special prayer over you that you would get that extra measure of peace. And then I want us to break off some of these bad thoughts that we've been having break off some of these generational curses go ahead and come on over guys because people are coming down we want to make sure we make room for them maybe you need a breakthrough with your finances maybe you need a breakthrough with your health maybe you need a breakthrough with your marriage Maybe you need a breakthrough with worry. Cool. So let's do this together. First of all, and everybody in the auditorium repeat after me so we can just break the spirit of fear off of us. Do some warfare uh, on our own behalf, okay? So repeat after me in Jesus' name. Bind up the spirit of fear in my life and cast it out of me in Jesus' name. Bind up the spirit of worry in Jesus' name. Break the generational curse of fear and worry in my life and in my kid's life. Spirit, I pray that you'd just be in this room right now, that you'd fill each and every one of us. I pray, Lord God, that you would help us to not be fearful. Bind up that evil spirit and cast it away in Jesus' name. Now repeat after me again in Jesus' name. Loosen me love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, and self-control. Loosen me the power of love and self-discipline. That's that's big stuff happening right there. So let's sing this worship song together, celebrating God. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. 
If you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. The Bible says in the book of Romans, chapter 10, verse 9, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In fact, you can do that right now. I want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me if you haven't already done so. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are the Lord and that you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose again. And thank you, God, for that fact. I ask that you now be my savior to guide my life and give me a home forever in heaven. And God, I ask you this in the precious name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen. If you prayed this prayer for the first time, or if you need prayer for any reason, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY or on the web at prayer at fellowshipgj.com. Thanks again, and we hope to see you next week.